Hi everyone, Katie Anderson here with another of my author interview series guests. And I'm so excited to have George Says here with me today to talk about his new book, We Started With Respect. Uh, so welcome, George. I'm so happy to have you here. Oh, thank you, Katie. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, so I, um, in a moment, I want you to introduce yourself, um, but I am so thrilled for your book to be coming out. And I've been part of the process, you know, when you first were starting to write and then through the whole writing process. And so it's really thrilling to be here to support you with the book launch and to share it with the world. Um, and I can share in a little bit the endorsement that I've written for the book, as well as some mm -hmm. endorsements from other great people like Bob Chapman, the CEO, Barry Waymiller. So uh, welcome, George. And why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself and maybe how we got connected originally, and then we can dive into some questions. Okay, sounds great. Well, I uh, spent 40 plus years in the medical device industry, uh, from cardiovascular to orthopedics, plastic surgery, biologics, quite a bit. And I started off in operations and worked my way up into executive management and got the opportunity to, to run some companies. Um, enjoyed that. And then at the, uh, gosh, I think in about 2000, I was working for a company called DJO and I got connected with AME, Association for Manufacturing Excellence. And so uh, at the end, when I left my last company, I had an opportunity to go be the, the president CEO of AME for the last three years of my career. So it was, it was, uh, it was really fun, a great opportunity to get around the world and see some wonderful, wonderful companies. And uh, actually that was how we met. Uh, Katie took over, uh, started the consortium in San Francisco yeah. and uh, while I was uh, president of AME. And so that's how we met. And uh, you guys do a great job with that, and, and AME is a great organization, but had a lot of fun writing the book uh, based on you know, a lot of the perspectives I've gained over all the years, plus uh, all the time at AME and seeing all those great companies, too. Yeah, it's so, it's so great. Uh, so we'll start with one of my first questions, which is what inspired you to write a book and this book in particular? Well, ooh, boy, I, I think to begin with, I've always been interested in culture. I think even back when I was uh, first in, in leadership, I thought, you know, you can have a plan and a great plan looks good up on the wall, but if you don't have the right people in the right culture, uh, it's hard to execute it. And I thought, always thought that culture was the, the vehicle to, to execute those plans. And then if we fast forward many years later, when I was president of a medical device company, I was invited to an AME leadership summit on uh, people-centric leadership and trying to ignite a, a manufacturing renaissance. And it was hosted by Bob Chapman, mm -hmm. uh, the CEO of Barry Waymiller, as you, as you spoke about. And he said two words there that really impacted me. Um, the first one was the word intentional. And he talked about having an intentional plan for your culture. And I thought about it as president, I thought, you know, we have, uh, we, all of our, our leadership team was bought into respect and into teamwork. We had values that we spent a lot of time crafting and had those posted, but we really didn't have a plan to intentionally develop that culture. The, the, the values were there, but there wasn't, just like having a strategic plan aligns the organization, there wasn't that intentional plan that Bob talked about for developing the culture. So that was one word. And then the second one he used was a word entrusted. And he talked about that these lives, um, that the, the folks who report to you, their, their lives are entrusted to us as leaders. And I thought about that. I thought as president of the company, certainly that meant everybody in the company, but I thought that's an awesome responsibility to think about that. What I say and what I do 
significantly impact somebody's life, both at home and at work. And so um, I went to that meeting as a practitioner of people-centric leadership principles, but I left as a promoter. And I thought, you know, I began really writing and speaking about it a lot more and I became a lot more active. And certainly then when I joined AME, then my whole life was out promoting this. But um, so it was a natural for me then when I retired to write a book and, and I, I love writing. I've enjoyed that always. And so writing it on culture and leadership uh, seemed like a natural. Now, I will say the other part of that is I decided to write it as a business novel. Mm. So that added some complexity to it. Um, I love the book, The Goal by Eli Goldratt way back when. And uh, I read a lot of business books, but I'm, I'm good at reading the first six to eight chapters and not finishing them. And so when I when I read that one, though, I read the whole book because it was a story and I want to see what happened. And even I was in the midst of my first um, role as a division leader in a turnaround situation. And so my wife could read the book and understand what I was going through. So I had always thought if I read, wrote a book, I was going to write one as a business novel. And so this book is also in that um, business novel format, which as you know, as a writer, I mean, it's challenging enough to write a book, but then you, know, you, you have the complexities of, of the story and characters and perspective and making sure how you line things up. You know, even the, all the little details, I, I had a little story where a guy played hooky one day and went off and went snow skiing. And, and my buddy that was reading the book for me as well along the way said, you know, you have a guy going snow skiing in the middle of summer in Southern California. <laughs> I thought, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That doesn't work. And, yeah. and so I had to change it to observing, but it was all those other little details that mm. also come into it when you're writing the, the novel part of it. Yeah. Well, I'm so impressed with writing a novel. I mean, my book, Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn is, you know, stories and story driven. It was different complexity where I was trying to, you know, I was capturing someone's real life story and trying to weave it together. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's a whole different level of having to be create characters and uh, think about how this you know, you're really creating the whole situation where I'm figuring out how to retell um, and connect the dots on things. So kudos to you for, right. for creating an, engage, an engaging story. And you know, here's what Bob Chapman had to say about it. He says, you'll be drawn in by the compelling story that unfolds and energized by the lessons it reveals. If you're serious about transforming your team, your department, your organization, that we started with respect to be your guidebook for improving your leadership and the precious lives in your span of care. You know, what an awesome endorsement and a great um, sort of loop back to that inspiration from you about how to really create a people-centered culture um, as a leader. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a great comment. Yeah, it's good. So, uh, you know, George, what's one thing that you've learned personally about um, leadership in a different way through the process of writing this story or this book? Hmm. Well, I think one thing that I, I did learn um, was about, and I'd always um, practiced this, I think, but I, I don't, I'm not necessarily came up through the book as much as um, it's in the book and part of the book. And that was that um, as leaders, it's really easy to get trapped into trying to treat everybody equally. And I, I've realized in my career that it's not best to treat everybody equally. And, and the, the things that inspired me were things like taking uh, a, a Myers-Briggs test, personality test, or the DISC profile, 
or even uh, there's a book out the five love language or five languages of appreciation uh, in the workplace of how people like to be appreciated in realizing that what motivates and what rewards everybody is very different. And it's important to, to build those individual relationships and actually not treat everybody equally because in so doing, you may not motivate or reward somebody in the way that works for them. Mm. And you've left with, you know, um, sub-optimization and really, and, and, and mm. for that person, they're missing out on, you know, the opportunity to, to be fulfilled at work. Yeah, that that's so powerful. And, it, you know, to me, that ties back to one of the words that Bob shared and inspired you with being intentional. So how do you, how do you be intentional about that and not just get trapped into you know, your habits and responding in one way, but really responding in the way that's going to help develop each individual person or be what they, what they need as well. Right. Right. It's very yeah. important. Yes. And I think that shows respect as well for the individuals. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's, let's talk about it. We started with respect. That's the title of your book and without giving all the stories away, what are, you know, how, let's talk about like, what does that title mean? And then the second question is, what are some of the, the key lessons or stories in addition to what you've shared that come out of that? Well, the, the, the book is about, uh, with my medical device background, it's about a medical device company that pioneered a new technology as a startup company. And then you know, they, they really worked more through brute force to get all those products out and get themselves sold. And now that they're sold, the, holding, uh, the, uh, the people that uh, where the principals all took off with their buyout packages and kind of left the company bare and the, the products have aged out. And so the, the company that bought them want to want to get something going that there's still some brand equity in the name. And so they bring in a new president to turn it around and revive the company. And this gentleman believes in that culture is really that foundational system that'll help propel the company forward and, and sustain it in the future. And in his mind, you know, the, the starting point, I leave off one chapter with he knows exactly where to start and that his starting point is to start with respect and start with respect of the individual. And so in the book, we'll follow this. Uh, he reconstitutes the main, uh, the, the leadership team, gets new product development going and and they, they're off to the races, uh, but they're it, in the process, they're rebuilding their culture from, from scratch. And so we follow the team as they go through that, um, but it starts... And he's, he talks about that many times through the book that uh, years later, we'll look back and see how respect was the center of everything we did. And, and, and he'll say later that it becomes the glue that holds it all together. And I really believe that that's, that's very true, that um, you can have a, a great company, you can have a, a good or great company, but an extraordinary company is something where we're really uh, treating people with respect and, and thinking about how we can fulfill and engage them each day. What are some ways, you know, without telling all the story too, that leaders can demonstrate respect and maybe how that plays through um, some elements of your book? Well, the first one I think is most important is, is listening, listening to, well, not before you listen, ask, mm -hmm. ask folks what they think, what they'd like. In fact, when they talk about, and we talk about building the elements of a culture, um, I think there's many ways you can go about it. The CEO can say, this is how we're going to do it. You know, based on either how I did it in the past or what I think is best, or maybe they want to control the environment. Um, it could be you put together a small group of peers that are going to decide for everybody what our culture is going to look like and what those key elements will be. Or you could bring in outside consultants uh, to decide and, and say, here's the latest thinking in, 
in culture. But I think the the most respectful way and, and, and I think the most original way is to ask the employees what they think would be motivating and engaging in the elements of a culture that they want to come to work in each day. And if you ask them and then listen and use it, you've already got a great, you know, um, support base uh, for the kind of foundation that you're going to build. But I think that's where it starts is, is, is asking your employees and then listening and, and using that input. And it's, it's really, uh, as I said, I think it's, it's, you're, you're finding out then what's really going to work for them as well. And so you're already halfway home. Yep. Well, and it's, it's so simple in concept, but you know, often feels challenging to do. What are some of those challenges that you've experienced in your own career or observed um, in others that have been barriers to creating these cultures um, founded on respect? Well, uh, well I, I think I can share that in the context of an aha moment that, that I had um, in writing the book. It didn't occur in writing, but it occurred after I wrote the book. I Well, as I wrote it, I sent it out once it was completed to three different beta groups of, of readers, so about eight people in each group. And they gave me their, their feedback. And the interesting thing was, was that um, there's a gentleman that I worked with in the 1980s that said, wow, George, you wrote all about us. And uh, then another guy that I worked with a different company in the 1990s said, you wrote all about our company, didn't you? And somebody in the 2000s, another company said the same thing. And then lastly, uh, Dick Ryan, you may know Dick Ryan, uh, he, uh, he read the book, was one of my, my readers, and he said, I, he said, I love the book, but he said, I thought you told the story of the wire mold transformation. And what really hit me then was that we've had all this um, culture and leadership evolving, the approaches evolving. And if you think back to uh, post-World War II, we were very much business-centric, and the leadership style was command and control. And then by the 1980s, we went to... Um, uh, team ideas of so quality circles and self-directed work teams. And then by the 2000 turn of the century, you went into servant leadership and people-centric leadership where everybody feels valued. And so we've been evolving in this culture um, approach all this time, and I think doing very good things. But what I realized from what those folks said to me was that the real issue and the real culprit isn't which one of those models you embrace. The real issue is that most people don't have an intentional culture. And that's what was missing at each one of those companies was having any formalized approach. And if you don't have an intentional culture, going back to what Bob said, then we have a culture by default. And what that is, is it's based on whatever your supervisor wants to do. And then it's different depending on which door you open. And so, you know, I recognize that when I was president of a company, I could um, espouse people-centric leadership principles, but the real culture for every employee was whatever their supervisor um, advocated and supported in practice. And, and if they supported a people-centric, then great. But if they were a tyrant, then the culture to that employee was tyrannical. I mean, they that's what it was. And so that was my big aha in realizing that the, the biggest culprit is that most companies don't have that. They have a set of values, mm. but they don't have a way to get those values and, and make them actionable and make them part of what they do on an everyday part of the business. It's not part of their strategic plan. We have those values. And we did at the company I was at when Bob said that. And that's what made me realize that, well, we don't have any way of yeah. putting those in, into work, into play in our business, unless we have an intentional plan with 
with actual uh, tactics and measurables. The word intention is one that's been really important to me for a while. And uh, the way I see it, and this came from actually the Japanese symbols from the word intention, and it comes from the, the symbols of samurai and heart. So like the, the strength and then the, the sort of soul, heart, purpose. It's like, what's your Ooh. purpose? And then direction. And I see that as, it's actually the compass symbol. And it's like, it's heart plus direction. And, and really, so you have to know what, what's, the, what do you, what's your purpose and what's the impact you want to have. And then what actions are you going to take as an individual leader or as a collective leadership team or organization to create mm -hmm. and fulfill that? And I, I see a lot of times we have this desire, we have this sense of the impact that we want or we you know, look to the values. We have this in here, but we're not necessarily manifesting it through taking the actions that are really aligned in that direction. And uh, your book really shows how leaders can take those actions. So start, start with respect, but then how do, how, do you, how do you do that and actually create it? Right. And, and, and I had read a lot of books where they had some really insightful ideas. And then I'd be left thinking, okay, well, what does that look like in real life? What do I do with it? And, and so that's what I wanted to put in this book through the, uh, the novel part is you see the team uh, actually then doing it. And, and it's meant to be descriptive, but not prescriptive. So here's how you could do this and a lot of great ideas and insights and what it would look like in a company. But it isn't, it's not a book that's saying, there's only one way and this is it. Um, but I think it gives you a great, uh, as a matter of fact, on the front of the book, it says it's a novel with the word novel scratched out and then blueprints. So it, it, it is a story, but it is a blueprint, but it, it, it doesn't say that's the only way to do it, but it'll give you a really good idea of, of where to start and how to go about it. And the reflection that you can have around, you know, what did this, what did you learn from the story? You know, that's the same, I had an aha moment when I was writing my book too, that I didn't, I originally thought it would you know, be different leadership lessons. And I realized actually that's the stories and the parables and the experiences and then how we personally reflect on that that's going to be more meaningful. Um, and I think you really have created that um, successfully for, uh, for others as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, talking about learning, you know, what, how can people best learn from your book? Um, you know, what are some different ways that the book will support or other way, you know, the book will support people's learning uh, and how an application. Well, each uh, at the back of the book, there's a, a, a section called reflections. And so I have a, a list of questions uh, that the reader or their team or their book club can go through at the end of each chapter. And, and it'll take them through some of the um, same situations that the team is going through in the book. And so that it'll ask them to to take that that situation and assume, well, what does that look like in your company? How have you approached it? How would you approach it? Do you agree or, or, or disagree? And so it gives them, I think, an opportunity to, to say, well, yeah, that would work for us or that wouldn't work for us and here's why, but here's how we would approach it. But I think it would help them examine all those same situations about how to implement um, a transformational uh, culture that would be based on respect. Yeah. Uh, and you've told me as well that it might be a workbook that uh, is involved as well. As uh, how does that relate to the learning not, process? <laughs> not yet, not yet. No, no workbook. So I, uh, I, I was, I was thinking about doing a workbook and then decided to put the questions at the back of the, of it and, and just give it away. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's, no, it's all part and parcel. That's great. So the, basically, the book is the workbook. Yes, that's yes, awesome. Yes. So it's a one stop, one stop <laughs> shop for uh, discovery and learning. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fantastic. You know, 
when you were writing the book, who did you consider your target audience? Well, anybody uh, in a leadership role or aspiring to be a leader, I would hope people that are, are thinking about it for the future would consider thoughtfully, um, how do I go about this? And what would that look like if, if I have that opportunity to be a leader? And then for those that are new in leadership or uh, increasing in roles, you know, even up to a CEO of a company, and they're looking for um, thinking about um, culture. Um, you know, one, one thing that I thought about also in, in, in writing the book is how we, um, how people become leaders. How do we appoint leaders? And typically, uh, in most companies, I, I think, and tell me if this, if this resonates with you, you know, the, the person that's best at the functional role becomes the leader. So the, the person that sells the most becomes the sales manager. The person that produces the fastest with highest, best quality becomes the lead or the production supervisor. And we're always hoping that those folks will be able to replicate their success and teach others how to do it that way. But because they're great at their functional role doesn't necessarily mean they're a great leader and they haven't been trained to be leaders. And so I, I think that that's a big miss for us. And in terms of um, hopefully this book might fill in some of that gap is that if you're going to become a leader, you need to think about what, what you're going to do. And I hope companies will look at this more seriously as well and think about how they can equip their leaders to in fact lead and to motivate folks. And I know that some of the folks that I'm talking to that are um, planning, that are in uh, leadership or in training roles are planning to use this book as part of their curriculum to help train leaders. And I, and I think that's a very thoughtful way to go about it. Yeah, absolutely. And how that, they can have that conversation together about how does, what does this mean for not just us as individuals, but as a company and uh, to do what the very thing that you set out, which is you know, how do you ask those questions and listen and hear and um, align those behaviors? Well, one of the, the, the elements in the book that the team decides upon is 100% um, leadership buy-in to 100% of the plan. Mm. And when you think about that, some folks may think, well, that, that seems impossible to get all of your leaders aligned to the same approach and to the same plan. But again, if you don't, then you have a, you know, a system that's being undermined constantly. And I think it's imperative and, and important. Uh, and so this is a tool that could help companies do that. They could take their, their leadership teams and, and look at this approach and then talk about, well, what would this mean to us and how would we approach it in a way that we do it where we're all doing the same way. You know, for all of us that are in lean, I mean, we approach production with what? Standard work. And we expect everybody to do it the same way. And if you want to make it better, great, let's, let's test it out. And then if it works, then we'll change it and everybody will do it the same way. Well, leadership should be the very same thing. We should have that same alignment throughout our culture and our leadership approach and the way that we, we uh, treat folks. And so um, I think it's just really important. And, and the numbers that support this are overwhelming in terms of uh, the outcomes within companies whether it be return on investment to all of the other, uh, you know, net profit to productivity and quality, everything is enhanced uh, when you have that type of alignment and engagement. Absolutely, you know, it was, uh, I've been reflecting on my recent trip to Japan, and you know, all these companies were visiting. They, what one of the uniting things is they didn't consider their purpose to necessarily be the product or service. So, of course, what's important was about looking at people. 
you know, so Toyota focuses mm. on, we make people so that we can make cars. Their purpose is joy or happiness or people's development. Mm. And it just is a different mind. It's like a different shift in that connecting with something more meaningful about that respect. It's, I think, and it's, maybe it's their way of saying, we start with respect for people first, and then we can do all those other things that we need to do as an organization. Mm -hmm. Right. Once you have that foundation in place, it's amazing what folks will 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 do. Mm -hmm. you know, it's just um, you know, it's, I, I talk about it in the book as being the difference between being committed and compliant. And you know, when folks are engaged, they're committed, and and what they'll do for a company and for each other is amazing. And when they're not and they're compliant, yeah, you know, you're, just, you're just you're dragging everything along, trying to trying to make it happen, but it just doesn't seem to mesh. No, no, you can't really create continuous improvement in that situation either. It's no. just going to, I'm just showing up to do a job and yeah, that connecting to that purpose is so important. Right. So I want to shift gears a little bit because a lot of our conversations um, offline have been about writing and publishing and the writing process. Um, and before we started recording, we were sharing some, uh, some key takeaways that you've had recently. But if you look back on this whole journey from uh, once you really got started with writing the book, What's one lesson that's really standing out for you that maybe you didn't expect to, to learn or um, that's just been really, uh, has really changed your perspective? Whoa, boy, there's a lot of things I've learned. I'll say one thing that hit me right away was if you're going to write a book, uh, you better grow some thick skin uh, <laughs> because everyone's going to poke at it and, and and uh, you know what makes sense to you doesn't always convey to everybody else. So my first every chapter I finished, my first reader was my wife, and she's an avid reader of novels. And for her, a novel has to play like a movie, so it's constantly moving, constantly playing in her mind. And if the movie ever stops, then it's not good. And so she would read it, and she would be brutally honest. You know, well, it was boring here, or this stopped here, or this didn't make sense, and and then my buddy that was was also reading it was doing some of the same things. And so I realized, okay, you're going to have to grow some thick skin through this process because, you know, you've written it, you think it, it, it sounds great. And they're saying, this is boring or this doesn't make sense. And and so then, you know, as I started working my way through it, it just, just became very comfortable with, okay, I'm going to do my best. And then you guys give me the feedback and it's going to get better. And then when I sent it out to the beta readers, they did some of the same things. And I have to say, by doing that, it's amazing. I think the book was so much better because of the input that I got and then was able to listen. Um, even up, maybe just digress for a second. There was one uh, gentleman, Craig Williams, who was one of my readers that said, you know, I think you need to have more on there in, in change management. And the more I researched it, I knew about change management, but the more I researched, the more I learned myself and the more I realized how important it was. And I actually added an entire chapter about change management based on his recommendation. So it, it made it a so much, I mean, a much more um, viable read, I think, and insightful. But it was because... <laughs> but I guess because I listened, I'm trying to give my, I'm not trying to give too much credit, but it was not having that, that skin that said, Hey, I'm the, I'm the one that knows I'm writing and you, you listen. Mm. It was, it was, we're writing this together and let's get these good thoughts together and share it with everybody. And, and so all the input was really, really, really welcomed. That's, that's great. And it, writing is such a, it's a process of revision and input. 
And as I shared with you, there has to be a certain point where you're like, okay, we're going to stop and we're just going to go yeah. forward with, with it right now. I, I, I really appreciate what you shared there. And I think there's a, you know, the, I'm see, thinking of a linkage with leadership too. I was, um, you know, recently with a client and there was some surprise from the leadership team that the frontline didn't really understand the strategic direction or priorities of the organization. And mm. I think it's because we get, you know, we were, we're the writers, you know, we don't realize how is it connecting or how is it translating. So to be able to have those conversations and hear that feedback and then think, oh, what do we need to do differently to make that connect or be more clear or the parts that are missing is such a important leadership skill as well. And certainly for a writer, um, a writer mm -hmm. too. Right, right. It's, it's, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, if we think they should understand it, but they don't, yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> there's a gap. And if you don't close that gap, then you'll suffer the consequences of having a gap. And so it's worth it to say, okay, well then mm. what do I have to do to, to make that connection? You know, that's what we want. We want that mm. connection from throughout our organization, you know, at all levels. Yeah, absolutely. So one of my usual wrapping up questions is what's a question that I have not asked you about the book uh, that you would like to answer? And what is that question? <laughs> and uh, what's your answer? Oh, you didn't tell me about that question. <laughs> it's a surprise. Core topic, you know. Just... Oh, gosh. Um, hmm. I can't think of you've, you've covered so much of that. You've given me, I guess you've given me a great platform here to, to tell about the, the book. Um, when's it going to be out? Oh. <laughs> That's a great that? question. We didn't cover that. So, so George, when is we started with respect coming out into the it's world? Gonna, it's going to be released on July 11th. So coming up very quickly or yeah. just happened, depending when you get to watch this, but July 11th is the restate is the release date and uh, been about a two and a half year process. So really yeah. looking forward to that. That, that's super exciting. That's about the same for me. It's, it's a it's a long price process. So those of you thinking about writing a book, uh, just be prepared. Be prepared. Yeah, so yeah. July eleventh, twenty twenty three. Um, that's actually the same week as my book's um, birthday. So we have it. We can oh, celebrate together. Cool. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's that's super great. And where can people uh, get the book or pre order the book or purchase it? And in what formats is it available? So it's available in. Um ebook and uh, soft cover and hardcover and you can get it through all the traditional outlets uh, barnes and noble amazon certainly uh, if you want to go to my website it's www.georgesays.com uh probably have my spelling on the on yeah. your as you as you publish this and so my website has all kinds of uh it has a link that you can either pre-order or order it and it also has a lot of articles and interviews that uh, you can check out and, and all the endorsements and whatnot on the book too. Awesome. Well, so exciting, George. I'm, I'm really thrilled that your book's coming out and I know it's going to have a tremendous impact for everyone. So thank you for coming uh, on to my show to talk about the book and, uh, and spread the word how everyone can start with respect. So, thank you. Appreciate yeah. it, Katie. Thanks. Thank Thanks again, everyone, for listening or reading. You can find us on YouTube, um, on the podcast channel, on uh, and on my blog, kbjanderson.com. And be sure to, uh, to follow for more author interviews and opportunities. So thank you so much.
And a special thing for those of you listening, the week that this interview gets uh, released, ooh, George is giving away three signed copies to readers in the United States. Um, so thank you, George. That's super exciting. Sign up um, on the look below or the links associated with how you can register for that. So uh, three copies of George's book signed that he's giving away the first week of this uh, this interview's release. So congratulations again, George, on the uh, on the release of your book. And I know it's going to have a tremendous impact. Thank you, Katie. Appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you.